Hey you guys, I'm Cynthia, and this is the Peace of My Mind podcast, P-E-A-C-E. You know, this month we're celebrating Valentine's Day, and all around us are commercialized and cheesy reminders about how we're supposed to showcase our love to one another. And I kind of want to hijack the commercialized cheesiness of it all, and I thought it would be appropriate, since it is Valentine's Day this Friday, to focus on this month's podcast, um, to focus on God's love, on loving Him, on loving each other in the body of Christ. I just want to take this opportunity to remind us of how much he loves us. I want to speak his love over you. I want to proclaim his goodness. And I want to exhort us to fall more in love with him and also to love each other well. Um, I want to share something that's been on my heart. It's a simple message. It goes beyond God's love, um, the conceptualization of it and the the etherealness of it. We've heard that God loves us. And we know that cognitively, but have we ever heard that God likes us? So what does it mean for God to like us? I want to talk about that today. Have you heard of the verse John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a beautiful truth. It's a beautiful scripture. And it's one that's repeatedly used in the church to confirm God's broad and boundless love. And I think because it gets repeated, we can start to forget the power and the meaning of what that truly means, that God loves us. Or like me, sometimes I've thought, yeah, God loves me, but it sounds obligatory like he's supposed to. Like he made me. This is what he's supposed to do is love me. And sometimes I've felt like he's just putting up with me, particularly when I've dealt with habitual sin and failure. You know, I've conceptualized this idea of love, but oftentimes it felt like a far off truth or it felt like a reality that applied to everyone else but me. And along the way, God brought me into a process of getting this truth sown deep into my heart that he not only loves me, but that he likes me. And he became more than just an overlooking deity. He's become my friend. Exodus 33:11 The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Job 39 chapter 39 verse 4 says, God's intimate friendship blessed my house. I love these these verses because I've entered into a personal relationship with him and I've discovered that he loves me and he likes me, that he's intimate, he's close, he takes delight in me. His love broke open the way and he brought me into a beautiful, broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 18, 19. And the word delight in that psalm denotes him taking pleasure in us, to be pleased in. And it also means movement, bending towards. God is moving towards us. He's bending himself to meet us in our lives so that we may know intimate friendship with him. Zephaniah three seventeen. Sorry, you guys. I'm just... I'm going to be all over the place just giving you guys scriptures and just this is this one is just going to be saturated with his word. And um, I, I'm going to jump here and there with different scriptures. But um, these are the scriptures that God personally used in my life to demonstrate his friendship. And they've been life changing for me. So we're going to talk about them. Zephaniah 317. That was my little rant. Sorry, I'm moving on. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 
This is the God who is pursuing us right now. Let us take this time on this podcast to just reflect on this. Let this soak into our hearts this week that he loves us, that he likes us. I want to play a clip from one of my favorite preachers and then after we can discuss it together. It's a a six-minute clip from one of his sermons. His name is Don Dan Moeller, excuse me, Dan Moeller. Um, and just forewarn, he sounds a little bit angry, but he's not. If you haven't heard him before, before, like his tone may throw you off. He's definitely a quirky preacher. And I think that's kind of what makes me pay attention to what he says because he's so um, out of the box in the way he speaks. And um, But he's not angry in this clip. He's super passionately fired up. And in this clip, he's sharing about Jesus' resurrection and how he appears to his friends after his resurrection. And this is um, after the crucifixion, after he's asked his disciples to pray in the garden and then they couldn't, they fell asleep on him. This is after they denied him. This is after they scattered when he was arrested. And I believe John the Apostle was the only one that was present at the actual crucifixion of Jesus when he died. Um, And then he dies, he's buried, he's raises again. And what does he do? As an act of love and as an act of intimate friendship, he wants to see those very men and women. So let's listen to Dan. Come on, when Jesus raised from the dead, it's not a joke. He said to Mary, go tell my brethren. That'd have been tough if he just said, you go tell them low life, weak willed, (laughs) say one thing, do another, no account disciples of mine, that I got to talk to them soon. No, instead he walked in the room while they're in there in fear, huddled in fear. Read it, John 20. They're huddled in fear. They're not having a prayer meeting, guys. They're afraid it's going to happen to them next. And he walks in the room through the wall, apparently. And he says, peace to you. Why? He just made peace through his blood. He just took his blood to the heavenlies. And Hebrews 9 it, man. He just took it. He said, Mary, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to my father. He was so excited to take his own blood into heaven and put it on the mercy seat and be a priest between God and man. Where sin can no longer have dominion over you, the law, the spirit of life in Christ make you free from the law of sin and death. Yeah, where Christ in you, the hope of glory could manifest. Yeah, he said, peace to you. And they're all looking at him and he shows them his hands, his side, and they touched and felt and went, woo! And they were happy and glad that it was the Lord. And the very next thing out of his mouth when they realized it's the Lord, the second thing, or the very next thing out of his mouth, the second time he said it, but it's a different piece. He said, peace to you the second time, right in John 20. It's right there in your Bible. You can look at it right now while I'm talking. End of the chapter, verse 20, 21, right in there. He says, peace to you the second time. What's he do that for? Why does he say peace to you the second time? Because he knows as soon as they realized it's him, what's the first thing that bombarded their conscience? How they betrayed him, how they ran, how they were cowards, how they denied him, how they loved their own life when they sat at supper with him and said they'd all die for him. He's standing in front of them, and they go, it's you. And the first thing that hits them is, man, we ran. And he said, peace to you. (gasps) So what's he saying by calling them brethren and saying peace to you? He's saying, I haven't changed my mind about one of you. I haven't changed my mind about any of you. I know what you're capable of. I know your purpose, your potential, your destiny. And I just paid a price and opened the door. Now you guys got to get with it and live by faith. Now would you go into the nations and rock those nations and make believers of all men? Get out of here and go do it. Yeah? 
Well, actually, he told him to wait in the city until the Holy Ghost comes on him, but he told him to go after he comes, right? I got a little excited. We're ready to go. Just get in the car and go, man. Just go. Just go. <laughs> I got a little excited. But, but they had to wait for the empower of the Holy Spirit to become a witness. But he didn't say, you need boot camp. You need another semester. What he said is, guys, it's time to believe me. And it's time to believe how I see you. You're lacking nothing. Now believe it. And when Holy Ghost comes, you are definitely ready. Go change the world. You know what he says right after that? If you forgive the sins of any, they'll be forgiven. But if you retain the sins, they'll be retained. What's he talking about? Because you don't have permission to retain sins. There's nowhere in Scripture that tells you to live in unforgiveness or to judge a book by the cover. Is there anywhere in Scripture that tells you that retaining sins is cool? Then why does it sound like he's giving them an option? He's not. Here's what he's saying. If you go out and love them like I've just loved you, in the midst of all their weakness and all their backwards and all their say one thing and do another, if you go love men like I've loved you, surely they'll know the way to me and know my love and forgiveness. But if you let your hearts get hard, shut up your heart, and fail to walk in the love that I've loved you in, how will men know the way to forgiveness? Why? Because you're the body of Christ. You don't work for him. You're his expression. You're his body, not his employee. Oh, your sons and daughters. And he paid a price to put himself in you. So what was the cross all about? Was the cross really about sin? Is about restoring purpose and value and destiny. See, the cross speaks more about our value than our sin. He had to die to remove our sin. I get it, and it's scriptural. But he didn't die because we're sinners. He died because we were lost sons, and there's a higher truth to walk in. Nobody pays a high price for nothing unless they believe the purchased possession is worth the price. So he shed the blood of his own son to show what he thinks of the purchased possession. Many sons. <laughs> my whole life I was taught that he died on the cross because I'm a sinner and we go at it from the depravity of man and try to get man to change and feel sorry for his depravity instead of be transformed by his goodness it's the goodness of God that leads men to change not the reprimand unschooled and unlearned and un misunderstanding talking how to turn people say well it ain't all about the love of God it's about the judgment too and then they quote Old Testament scriptures under the law you can't show me one scripture that tells me it's the judgment of God that transforms a life. But I can show you it's the goodness of God that does. For God so loved that he gave. It doesn't say for God was at so which ends and so frustrated and so mad at humanity, he finally sent his son. He loved you. On your darkest day, honey, on your biggest struggle, in a season where your identity was struggling and you didn't feel good about yourself and you made bad choices, stuff like that. He says, I love you. I know who you are, girl. And I'm wooing you to my presence, to my love and to my kingdom. And better yet, I'm going to put myself in you and you're going to shine. Yeah? That's exactly what he says. And he calls you out of darkness and puts you into the light. You get it? It's called born again. Hmm, man, 
you know, after hearing that, I always have to pause and sit and let it soak in. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that clip. First of all, I mean, he talks so fast and he packs so much truth into a small clip that you kind of have to listen to it several times. It's so rich. Um, so if you need to go listen to it again, I mean, I affirm that. You go ahead, you do you. But what do you think about what he said? What do you think about him saying that the cross is not only about us being sinners, but it's also about him sacrificing his one son to gain many sons? You know, I have to be honest, I wrestled with that one for a while. But listen, we're not here for a theology course. The point that I think that Dan is making uh, and the point that I want to make here is that two realities exist. We know that. We know that the total depravity of man is a reality. And also, we are his image bearers. Yes, we're forgiven sinners, but we are also anointed saints. Here's the thing. Look, I don't have any problem beating myself up. I know how wicked I am, and that's a reality. But today, I want to emphasize here with you the purposeful and the intimate friendship that God has with us as his sons and daughters. He says in John 15, 15, listen, 15, 15, John 15, 15. This is a good one to remember. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. We are sons and daughters. We are his friends. You know, this reminds me of another passage in scripture. It's found in John chapter 21. And again, it's after the resurrection of Jesus. It says that after Jesus uh, appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happens this way, Simon Peter, or Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and then two other disciples were together. And Peter says to them, I'm going out to fish. And they're like, we're going to go with you. So they go out, they get in the boat, and all night they're trying to fish, but they don't catch anything. And then early in the morning, Jesus is standing on the shore, but the disciples didn't recognize him. And Jesus calls out to them, verse 5. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? And I just, again, love that. He says, friends. He calls these guys friends. And he's like, friends, did you guys catch anything? And I mean, Jesus knew. (laughs) He knew they didn't catch anything. But it was an opportunity for him to acknowledge that they are friends. And they say, no, we didn't catch anything. And he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And of course they did. And they, in fact, caught so much more. They couldn't even pull up the net because it was so heavy. And then verse seven, it says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. (laughs) I just love. Okay, so John is writing this gospel. And instead of referring to himself as John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I'm like, you know, if I was writing the gospel, I would do the same thing. I'd be like the girl who Jesus loved. (laughs) I wouldn't put Cynthia in there. I'd be like the girl who Jesus loved. She did this. And then the girl who Jesus loved went here. (laughs) So I I get you, John. (laughs) But then John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Like he recognized him. And as soon as Peter heard him say is the Lord, he just jumps out. He jumps into the water. He's like so excited. He's so extra. He's got to be dramatic. And he's like swimming to the shore and everybody else is in the boat. And they're like, no, we're going to roll back to the shore. Like we got these. We're good. <laughs> we're, we're not that extra. But when they all get to the shore, it says in verse nine, they landed and then they see a fire of burning coals. And then on the burning coals, there's fish on it, and then there's bread. 
And Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you caught. And so they get, you know, one of the largest fish that they had. Um, And then Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was him at this point. And Jesus came, took the bread. He gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And here's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make. I want to make this, this, this is so profound to me and awe striking in my heart because you have to realize what Jesus just did on the cross was he made propitiation. How do you pronounce that? Propitiation. I can't even say these big old theology words. He made himself become sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be reconciled to the father. He did the most monumental, profound, earth-shattering, powerful movement on the cross, a powerful action on the cross, his death and resurrection. This is like a big deal in eternity. This is the, the most pivotal moment in all of eternity, Jesus dying on the cross and reconciling us to the Father. And after this monumental thing, he comes and he wants to visit his friends and he wants to make them breakfast. Doesn't that blow your mind? Like it blows my mind because we have to, there's this dichotomy of God is so sovereign and he's so vast and big and powerful. And then at the same time, he's so intimate and close and relatable and tangible and palpable and good and tender. And he calls us his friends. He wants to hang out with his friends and he wants to cook them breakfast how amazing. Can you just imagine being on a boat all night discouraged because you didn't catch a thing? I would have been, I can't say what I was going to be. It starts with a P. I would have been, I would have been upset. (laughs) And he knows them. He's like, I got you, boo. I got you. I got you some bread here. Even more than what you was going to get on the boat. I got you fish and bread. (laughs) Can you imagine the fellowship? And you know what do friends do? They hang out, they eat, they talk, and that's what they did in this chapter. I mean, but can you imagine having breakfast with God? Yo, I'm like mind blown. And check this out. The whole chapter, John John 21, the whole chapter is on point. So after they eat, they're hanging out, they're fellowshipping, they're resting. They had a long night. They're tired. They're just enjoying each other's company. And Jesus asks Peter, he says, I love you. You're my friend. Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus asks him, Simon, son of Jodah, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then the third time he asks him again, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He's like, He's like, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Okay, so here's here's what I want to tell you about what I get out of that verse, out of these verses. The whole chapter is on point, isn't it? It's so good. Okay, so God is demonstrating his love by the work that he did on the cross and the resurrection. And he makes, and he's demonstrating his love for us by that amazing pivotal moment on the cross, right? That work is done. He demonstrated his love there. And then he's demonstrating his love again by cooking breakfast. And he's saying, I love you. And he's asking us 
put yourself in Peter's shoes. He's asking us, do you love me? And, and the response is, yes, we love you. And then, and out of that, he says, good, now love each other. <laughs> Take care of each other. Feed each other. Have each other's backs. Have community with each other. I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to be able to make you breakfast here concretely and tangibly. But you guys continue to do that for each other. Can you do that? If you love me, you will do that. And I'm very concrete. So let's, I need like tangible things. You know, I need, I need visuals and all this stuff. So listen, I used to be Catholic. You know, the sign of the cross where they put, uh, your, you know, a hand goes up, the hand goes down and then a hand goes from left to right, right to left. You know, that's the sign. And just imagine a cross, you know, there's two sticks together, a T, right? So the, the sign of the cross, it goes up and down. And in my mind, I see the concrete image, you know, God loves us, comes down, and then we love us, go up. It's, it's a stick. It's like, it's like vertical, right? And then there is a horizontal stick, the horizontal part of the cross. And it goes across. It goes from right to left and left to right. And I imagine that being now love each other. So up and down, we love God. He loves us. Right to left, left to right from the side, back and forth, love each other. And this is what Valentine's Day should be and will be about, because I just hijacked it, y'all. You guys, <laughs> this, is this is the real meaning of love. This is the real meaning of friendship. To feed each other, to care for each other, to, to have community with each other, to love God to understand his love for us, to enter into friendship with him, and then demonstrate that friendship with those in your community and with those in your church and with those in your family. This is love. God loves us and he likes us. He wants to fellowship with us and he wants us to fellowship with each other. I want to end with the scripture in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 where Jesus says, he says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And this is revelation. This is like the apocalyptic, you know, really weird and kind of scary book. And in this book, there is this beautiful verse that Jesus is saying he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to be friends. It's woven in and out throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end, you guys. So right now, if you feel like God's not your friend, hear his voice. He's knocking. He's standing at the door. He's knocking. He's a gentleman. He's not just going to bombard and just walk right in. That's not who he is. He's gentle. He's asking. He's saying, hey, I'm knocking. Hey, you're my son. You're my daughter. I'm knocking. If you hear me right now, open the door, let me in, and let's fellowship together. I want to be your friend. So right now, wherever you are, if you feel like he's not your friend, there's that invitation for you. Don't delay. Respond. It's a great invitation. It's a good invitation. It's a sweet invitation. You're not going to regret it. Trust me. Being friends with God, come on now. Being the disciple who Jesus loves, you're not going to regret it. And if you're 
let's say you're in a place where you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm God's friend and this is good. I want to encourage you. How well are you loving your friends? How well are you feeding your friends? How well are you connecting with them? And if you're not, this is an opportunity and an invitation for you to be obedient and to be faithful and to press in and enter into friendship, deeper friendship with those around you and those in your community. There's an invitation for all of us. This Valentine's Day, let's focus, meditate, enter into the friendship of God, the love of God, and the love for each other. And let's celebrate that. Let's walk in that abundant life that he has for us as friends and fellowshipping with each other. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to ramble. I'm going to keep talking. So this I'm done. I love you guys so much. You guys are my friends. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I hope you have a wonderful, beautiful uh, Valentine's Day. I, I pray that your eyes will be open to see uh, how how God is fellowshipping with you, how he is he's relating to you. Um, and then I pray you'd be open to do that with, with the people around you. God bless you. This has been a peace of my mind. Um, God is in like with you. And um, until next time, thanks so much, you guys. Love you. Bye.